Welcome to The Buyer's Desk, an Infra podcast. We'll guide you through quick snapshots on Infra trends and insights, interviews with member store buyers and brand founders, and we have curated segments from Infra staff. Hello, and welcome to The Buyer's Desk. My name is Chris Sorensen, Promotions Program Manager. And I'm Angela Bozo, Director of Member Programs, and we're your host. Happy July. Happy July. And July, you know, we just a few days ago uh, celebrated Independence Day, you know, for all the Americans listening. Um, It's interesting to know, though, we actually have people listening all around the world, which I think is fascinating. Um, And we even have a Canadian on the show today. But really, our theme is all about celebrating independence, as in the independent retailer. So the whole episode, celebrating independent brands, independent retailers. Um, And we're going to get into that through a a few of our different segments today. Well, I love that. And sort of keeping with the theme, I find it a little like, I don't know, amusing that Jim is losing his independence in his segment today and including Simon Cutts, Director of Retail Partners at Spins. Uh, They have a fantastic conversation talking all about the independent retailer and even giving some brands advice for working with them. Of course, Jim loses independence because Simon says. (laughs) I love that so much. It's a great segment. It must be a rough Jim with your boss being named Simon. And I know Jim loves puns, so it's just great. (laughs) So good. And we're going to get and we're going to listen to them right away. So this is Jim's first interview on the podcast. Good luck, Jim. But first, we're going to listen to Aaron, the founder of Grandy Organics, an independently owned brand. Hi, I'm Aaron Anker, owner of Grandy Organics. We make delicious organic granolas, nuts and trail mixes. We've been crafting real organic goodness to fuel life's adventures since 1979. Just like your infra stores, we're the originals. We are part of the same principled group that started this industry. We are independently owned. Our staff is our family. We mix every small batch ourselves in the same way that you and your team care for your stores every day. We understand the pride you feel in your store and your team. All of our products are crafted in our solar powered bakery in Maine. We source the highest quality organic and fair trade ingredients from suppliers who also give back to their communities. Grandy is proud to partner with Infra Independence. Thank you for building a sustainable future the power of community. We have special discounts on delicious new items for any infra store who contacts us at wholesale at grandyorganics.com or call us at 207-935-7415. Hello, I'm Jim Olson, Spins Retail Insights Manager for Infra here with a rundown of what's happening on the data side of the natural foods industry. As we take time this month to celebrate independent grocers in the natural food industry, I've invited Simon Cutts, SPIN's Senior Director of Retail Partners and veteran of the natural foods industry himself, to share his perspective on the pivotal role of the indie grocer. Hi, Simon. Thanks for being here today. Hey, what's up, Jim? Really glad you can make it. I'm really excited to, uh, to pick your brain on the, the independent focus here. Nice. You worked in grocery retail for over thirty years across a variety of stores, Jim. I told you we're not we're not we're not counting years. We're not counting years, Jim. <laughs> Let's just yeah, we'll, we'll say a few years over the handful of years and a handful of leadership roles. How much did you pay attention to local independent stores for competitive insights or, or market pulse checks? A lot. Let's just say a lot. You know, uh, uh, prior to spins, my last role in the industry was I was at uh, Fresh Time Farmers Markets, and we opened. 80 plus stores across uh, the Midwest and uh, all new markets to us, right? We were going in and I would, I, if when we were going into a new market, I would pop into that particular market, start where our store was going to be. And I would start doing concentric circles around that store, essentially soaking in everybody we'd be competing against. And uh, I would, I would, uh, you know, the conventionals were the conventionals and some of them were stronger than others. But I would always I would always pay a whole lot of attention to whatever independent, regional, natural retailer was out there because there was always something interesting going on and it was something different. You know, it was something that I had to pay attention to because the customer was paying attention to it. 
And, uh, you know, uh, shamelessly, I would look to see what kind of secret sauce they had and try to determine what ingredients were in there. But um, I paid a lot of attention, a lot of attention to those uh, independent retailers. That's interesting. Now, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, spending some time in the Midwest, but I know you've also spent some time in the, the desert Southwest, Pacific Northwest, uh, even Hawaii. As a, a veteran of such a wide variety of, of unique markets, uh, what similarities or differences did you see in how local independent stores fit into each retail ecosystem? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the fascinating things. There's grocery stores everywhere, you know, so it's like, it's one of the things I absolutely love about the grocery business. You know, grocery stores in Hawaii operate just like grocery stores here. Uh, it's just the end of the supply chain. Um, similarities, you know, in those uh, independent stores out there. Uh, commitment to local and commitment to uh, those smaller producers, you know, it, that was that was one of those uh, similarities. And if I go back to that secret sauce, you know, it was uh, it was one of those things that others always tried to replicate. You know, I used to and I still joke about, you know, you go into a conventional, big conventional retailer. And usually their commitment to local is a whole bunch of marketing. And, uh, you know, I joke that their signs and their sign package is bigger than their selection. Right. <laughs> sure. You know, and and so if you go to uh, if you go to one of those strong independent uh, retailers, uh, their commitment to local is ingrained in what they do. You know, they're they're supporting the communities in which they serve, and uh, it's 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 a mile deep. Now they that they might need better marketing, uh, you know, to to compete against those those big retailers. But that's one of those really strong similarities I've always always seen out. I love that. Yeah, that that commitment to a local, a great, great T-shirt, great slogan for any number of uh, infra stores, especially. Well, and and another similarity is, uh, you know, uh, service and passion. Right. You know, it's like um, uh, I, I can only imagine, you know, big conventionals have better, bigger training and onboarding programs. Right. You know, for new staff members. But um, uh, as as a tour retailers, you know, it's like, a, I always see more engagement at those independent retailers. And if I ask a question, they seem to know the answer, you know, or they know where to get the answer, you know, cause there's, there's just a shorter line to, um, one source of the truth. Yeah, I fully agree. I've been, you know, helping out in for, for about five years now. And the, the one big differential I've seen across the board for any member is their, their customer service elevates them above conventional big boxes and be around them. The fact that you can go into an infra member store, if you have question about uh, trying out keto for the first time, or you want to go vegetarian or vegan, there's somebody on staff who is willing to sit down and talk to you because they're so knowledgeable and so embedded into the the movement and the lifestyle that, that you're seeking to, to be a part of. Sure. I was at, uh, I won't name the conventional retailer, but I was in there over the weekend and, uh, I, I heard a customer ask uh, an employee for just egg, right? Um, and oh, it, the whole conversation fell apart. Eggs uh, are right around here, you know? Uh, no, I'm looking for just egg. Oh, these are just eggs, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I, I had to step in and like uh, help uh, def diffuse the situation, if you will. And uh, unfortunately, that retailer didn't carry just egg, that new vegan egg substitute. Sure. And I was able, I was able to help them find it at another retailer. Yeah. And it sounds like a very natural foods, uh, who is on first kind of scenario. Totally. Totally. Right before my eyes. Now, um, pivoting back to our shared experience of, of working for spins, um, you've been enmeshed with spins industry leading sales data for several years before joining spins itself. Now, what do you see as the biggest benefit an independent grocer can glean from utilizing spins and data? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I like to say, uh, been a Spins customer since uh, 2000, you know, the hunt of the millennium, if you will. But as the category manager, it's where I first got exposed to Spins. And so uh, biggest, biggest benefit, you know, it's like I think of those conventional retailers out there that, you know, the independent retailers got to compete against. And let's face it, they've got a big analyst department and they've got a lot of analysts and they've got the, I don't know, the supercomputers to crunch the numbers and figure things out. You know, you can't compete with that. Oh, wait, 
you can outsource. And that outsourcing is utilizing, utilizing Stins and Satori and gosh, you, Jen, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like you are the supercomputer and able to crunch those numbers and, and help and help those independent retailers by by being that analytics team and, uh, you know, getting them that those extra resources to be able to uh, keep their sharp edges sharp and compete where they need to compete. Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, without sounding conceited, I, I definitely agree. You know, one of my favorite parts of of working for spins on behalf of infra or vice versa, however you think about it, is that interacting with an infra member and showing them those those quick connections through spins data, getting that light bulb moment when they realized how much information is at their fingertips um, and what they can do with that to, to stay competitive and efficient and effective is absolutely fantastic to see. All right, final question for you today. If you had the ear of a natural food brand looking for their first big break, what would you tell them about independent grocery stores? Well, let's see. Uh, oh, a, a journey, right? A journey of a thousand miles, you know, starts with one step, right? Right. Well, um, the journey to full distribution across across the grocery landscape uh, starts with one store, you know, and it's like uh, two of my favorite brands, two of my favorite brands, uh, Siete tortilla chips, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, Dave's Killer Bread, you know, didn't start at Walmart. Uh, they're at Walmart, don't get me wrong. But, um, uh, you know, those started at an independent operator. Those started at at one, at a one store place. And, uh, you know, they're now in 29,000 retailers across there. So it, it, it can't, you can't discount an independent operator. You can't discount that single store. Um, uh, it, it can be that, that training ground it can be that launching pad. It can be that place where, um, uh, you start to find success and build upon that success. I love that. I love it. Fully agree. Fully agree. Well, thank you, Simon. Uh, I appreciate you being on here today, sharing your, your keen insights. Thank you for your contributions today and uh, last month's Infra Annual Conference. Uh, I speak for both of us when I say that we're very proud to serve uh, Infra's membership as well as Infra's mission, uh, supporting good people and good food. As always, we'll see you at the show. Although I joked in the opening about Simon, or Jim losing his independence to Simon, I actually was really impressed with Jim's interview skills. Yeah, I dig it. We didn't get quite the insights from Jim, but Simon did a great job. And I actually look forward to maybe Jim doing some more interviews on the podcast. Hopefully he doesn't take our jobs. Right. No, we're going to keep him in his spin segment, but basically tell him insights or interviews, your world, Jim Olson. Mm-hmm. Well, up next, we have 10 of the 11 board of directors talking about what it means to them to be independent. Um, so what we did this time around, our CEO of Infra, Pat Sheridan, when he had the board of directors meeting back in May, during different breaks throughout their daily meeting, he pulled the different board of directors one by one into his office and just asked them what it means to them to be an independent retailer. So I think that's pretty fascinating. We have people on the board from a lot of different perspectives. You know, we have some second generation owners, we have some OGs, we have people that opened their business within the last handful of years. So I think it's really cool to get that different perspective. I loved listening to these stories and I love how, you know, they're all on the infra board of directors. They're all independent retailers, but their stories are pretty divergent and listening to kind of their motivations. And uh, I you know, we got a little bit of an origin story from most people uh, as part of like what it means for them. And I just found so many of them to be incredibly inspiring. And I'm really excited to share this segment. I agree. And I, I think that was one of the things that really attracted me as a retailer to work for Infra is that the board of directors is made up of store owners. It's it's the independent retailer managing our association to then, you know, make their lives in the independent world better. I think that's phenomenal. Um, not only that, but being on our board of directors is a pretty big commitment. They have quarterly mm -hmm. meetings that often require travel, um, you know, and having worked in other places where board of directors had 
different levels of engagement. It's always been so impressive to me to see how much, I mean, it's so hard to be a, a store owner, right? And, you know, you, we all know that those owners wear multiple hats. So not only uh-huh. are we committed to doing that, but you're committed to this, like the larger industry. Like it, again, I'm just going to go back to the same word I used previously, which was inspiring. Yeah, they are completely inspiring. So let's get into it. But first, we're going to hear from Parker at Go Macro, an independently owned business. Hi, I'm Parker, the marketing manager at Go Macro. Go Macro is an independent, mother-daughter owned and operated nutrition bar company that puts our heart and soul into promoting a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Since our founding in 2004, we have grown from selling macro bars in local food co-ops to making plant-based nutrition bars accessible nationwide in over 30,000 locations, both in-store and online. Today, though our team is much larger, the spirit of family remains. It is this spirit and commitment to our independence that has allowed us to always do things the Go Macro way, authentically, ethically, independently. In delivering our healthy and delicious bars to consumers, we maintain our dedication to responsible sourcing, high quality ingredients, sustainability, and giving back. To learn more about Go Macro and to join us as we help make the world better one bite at a time, visit us at gomacro.com. I'm here with Adam Stark, board member and second gen owner of Deborah's Natural Gourmet in Concord, Massachusetts. Adam, as a second gen owner of a natural food store, you grew up in this industry and you've seen it evolve more intimately than many. What does it mean to you to be an independent natural food retailer and to be carrying on this business the way you are? I guess the answer to that question is it means everything. Um, You know, my parents were divorced. My mother uh, opened the store when I was 15. My father farmed. Um, I like to think I'm carrying on two legacies, you know, but going back to the question, okay, what is it like growing up in the industry? I didn't grow up in an industry. I grew up in a movement. Um, The movement was uh, disorganized, passionate, fundamentalist at times, I'd argue often misguided. We ate things that, you know, excluded us from birthday parties with cake. We were taught to be afraid of chocolate and coffee. I I love seeing how the movement has evolved. And when the industry is in its best form, the movement and the industry are working together. Uh, You know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the store is something I'm very proud of. It feels as much my home as any place I've lived, but it isn't just its own entity kind of defined and by its, you know, here are the four walls. It's the connections we have to suppliers, the farmers behind the suppliers, um, the staff members, the staff members who left us 20 years ago. All the cool kids 20 years ago were going off to become naturopathic doctors. Now they're going off to become farmers. Our customers, um, my wife uh, met her new CEO at her new job and it's like, oh, uh, he has a nephew whose wife had cancer and you helped her. And it, it's, I'm not trying to claim that I helped in any profound way, but the connections we have, our influence is outsized. And to be at the center of all that is, um, it's an honor. I think not a whole lot of people get to do something that they get to exercise their creativity, feel a sense of community, make a fair living, and uh, make the world a better place. I'm sitting here with board member Brian Kivestad, owner with his wife Janelle of Blossom Grocery on Lopez Island, Washington. Brian, you've been on the cutting edge of a cultural movement, fighting the good fight for almost two decades. With the natural foods industry becoming ever more mainstream, what does it mean to be an independent now, and how has that changed for you over the years? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I've been part of the, been part of the grocery world since I was 14 years old. And I didn't know what fight I was fighting in the early years. I just liked food and I wanted to know where it came from. And so I, I followed that journey from the grocery store in my, in my, uh, in North Seattle, where I, where I started as a, as a bagger and a stalker. And I, it was sort of always sort of a side gig for me as I went through college and did all the things that grown up people do. And then came out of all that and kind of went back to grocery because it was the, it was a very real thing. And I think that as I followed in, in the world of food retail, I, I, first I went to Rainbow Grocery, which is a small independent natural food store in, in North Seattle and, um, worked there for a few years, which gave me a better insight into where food came from. 
and then later went on to PCC Natural Foods Co-op in Seattle. And that gave me another insight. And then I went on to work on a farm for a year. And so each time I did these things, I, I learned more about the, the food system, about where food came from, about our, my relationship with food uh, and food production. And years went by and I ended up with Janelle buying this little natural food store, which had been here on the island since 1977. And what I, I think now being a member of Infra and having this perspective of now being a board member, but also just a member in general, I have today, in fact, I was just thinking about how the relationship between independent business and independence in general and the organic movement specifically. And I think that it's what I've realized is that organic itself, the very concept of organic and natural itself, those, those, those basic concepts of our industry were born out of independence itself. In other words, there was this, there's been this movement is built upon concepts that were created by independent actors at the grassroots at the very beginning of it all. And they were independent in the sense that they were looking at the food system, which at the time was, you know, corporatized and becoming more and more centralized. And these people on the ground, at the ground level, whether they were farmers or the distributors, whether they were retailers themselves, and they said, no, we are going to choose something different. We're going to choose something that's better for our community because we see things that are going, going wrong in this very centralized approach. And so that independence that they had allowed them to see things uniquely from their own perspective. And that allowed them to seek other ways of growing food, other ways of distributing food, other ways of treating their employees and treating their, the, the animals that they, were, that they were caring for. And that in turn is what led to the collective effort of all those independent people. And there's thousands and thousands of them now looking back who were independently looking at this problem of big food and coming up with alternative solutions to those problems of how to feed themselves and feed their communities that led to the industry. And now we're facing it again with the same forces are at play in, in, in some ways. But so today I think it, what that means to be independent is to retain a connection with that founding moment of our industry or those founding moments and founding forces that led us to where we are today and, and built the foundations. And so independence in a way is, is a way, being an independent grocer today is a way of staying close to the origins of, of our industry at, at large. And, and in so doing, continuing to ask the same questions and come up with fresher and newer answers in a way that's uh, creative, that is insightful, that, that addresses the world as we see it today and the new forces that come out all the time that, that we have to contend with. I'm here with Emily Cantor, board chair and second generation owner of Cambridge Naturals with two stores in the greater Boston area. Emily, as a second generation owner of a natural food store, you grew up in this industry and you've seen it evolve more intimately than many. What does it mean to you to be an independent natural food retailer and to be carrying on this business? Thanks for the question, Pat. I really think of myself as a steward of this legacy business that my parents started in 1974. And what they have built is incredible. And the community love for what we do is amazing. And I see myself carrying that forward, um, really being a central uh, nexus in our local community for health and wellness, for great food for amazing products that you can't find everywhere for incredible customer service and really for building that sense of connection and collaboration in the community. So it's really important to me that we have a legacy and that we have a history in our local community and we can speak to that, that we live in our local community and that we have lots of deep connections. Great. Just a quick follow up question. What does the future look like for independent natural food retailers? I think the future for independent natural food retailers is really bright. I think with the tools and the amazing opportunities for collaboration that Infra provides as independent retailers really have the opportunity to thrive like never before. We have access to new technologies, innovative ideas, and again, that collaborative spirit that allows us to really thrive against 
you know, some incredible and difficult competition that we face on a daily basis. So I think that with Infra's support, we will continue to grow, thrive and prosper and be beacons in our local community. I'm here with Jason Bander, owner of Lifetime Natural Market in New York City and board member. Jason, uh, you've been on the cutting edge of a cultural movement, fighting the good fight for many years. With the natural foods industry becoming ever more mainstream, what does it mean to be an independent now? And how has that changed for you over the years? It's a great question. Coming out of a small town environment and feeling quite loyal and, and threaded in, in a small town mindset, an independent is what drives the town center. You'd have a collective of independent shopkeepers. They live in the town. They know the town folk. I bring that mindset to the store. And having been in and around the industry since the late 70s and watching brands come to market, become national brands, I find myself as a gatekeeper at Lifetime Market. And I can name a number of brands who are on a national level now, and they came uh, humbly ask if I would stand behind their product, give them a chance. And I define what it means to be an independent store owner, an independent natural market by virtue of what our role is in the marketplace and what it is to feed folks and what it is to give new brands emerging a, a chance to, to actually emerge and, and earn a spot on a shelf and create growth from there. Yeah, an independent store owner today is under greater threat every passing day, week and month and year as this country becomes more corporatized. And as a result, it's very important that independent shopkeepers find ways to come together to, to unite or find themselves in a very insulated town environment where they will be supported and ultimately age out. So there are risk factors in both but I do see the virtues in coming together with other independents yeah, to create a larger community, but it is under threat. That kind of leads to a follow on question. So in your, from your view, what's the future of the independent natural food retailer? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think about this often as craft beer brands, for instance, are presented as craft beer brands when they're really under a much larger umbrella. I think about a bulldog back in the early 90s, which was really a Budweiser company. It was a Budweiser brand. I had no idea. We are, we are ever more frequently presented with what would seem to be um, an up and coming brand, but it's under the umbrella of a larger manufacturer, a larger subset. And to maintain our position, strengthen our position is to find more and more of these entrepreneurs who are willing to be a part of our community, selling first through the independence and growing small steps, slow money, because that's what we represent. Being part of that economic cycle is, is where our future lies. I'm here with board member Laughing Water, owner of the Real Food Market and Deli in Helena, Montana. You were one of the first Infra members, but also... You're uh, what might be called an, an OG in the, in the natural food industry and movement. So as one of the earliest Infra members and really as a person who's been on the cutting edge of a cultural movement for decades, with the natural foods industry evolving and becoming ever more mainstream, what does it mean to be an independent now? And how has that changed throughout the years? And then if you can think about your tenure with Infra, how has that evolved in your relationship with Infra? Of course, things have changed since I got into business in 1975. And you know, we've gone from being a fringe health nut group um, to going mainstream. Of course, uh, there was... Um, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1992 that defined supplements and dietary supplements in a way that created a legitimacy for them. And they weren't unapproved food additives or, or drugs, which is what they were called before then. But, um, but toward the year 2000, um, the organic foods production 
uh, act was passed. And that really put organics on the map because there was official certification for organic foods. There was a standardization. And of course, you know, now we've, we've gotten to the point where I, I often say, if you're in the food business, you're in the natural food business. You, you have to be selling a lot of the same products uh, a dedicated natural food store would be selling. And, you know, Infra's role has really set into this narrative quite well. Because it was started, um, I think, incorporated in 2005. And uh, it was a few retailers who wanted to be able to compete, uh, given you know, the rise of, of Whole Foods and uh, the so-called uh, supernatural chains of the smaller stores. And uh, from what I've heard, the original vision was along the lines of a private label. We didn't really talk very seriously about a supply agreement early on. I think I came on the board in 2008. did get to the point with a really big gulp. You know, do we, who do we think we are? Are we big enough? Can we do it? Give a lot of credit to Kareen Schindler for being a negotiator who could work with the the big suppliers at the time, and uh, that was done in pieces with regional supply agreements, and then more recently with a national supply agreement. Infra, of course, has always been a community uh, for retailers, many of whom are otherwise very isolated. Although that's that's less true now with the uh, the rise of the internet, the pervasiveness of the internet. But still, we lack community. We we need as much as we can get. And infra, pretty much from the get go, of course, listserv wide use. When I think we started ours, but that's been like our lifeblood in terms of having community. And, of course, Infra getting into doing conferences and uh, different trainings and local events. And then you can start throwing in a whole raft of other benefits. It's, it's really become almost everything it could be. We have had to back off from some things that didn't catch on or didn't pay. But you look at the range of things Infra is doing and it, it's really quite remarkable. I think we've always had a certain sense of mission about changing the world, asking ourselves and, and seeing how we can really create a better world. I'm here with Miley's Tucker, board member and second gen owner of Nature's Cupboard in Northern Indiana. Mylise, as a second gen owner of a natural food store, you grew up in this industry and you've seen it evolve more intimately than many. What does it mean to you to be an independent natural food retailer and to be carrying on your business? It used to be a lot easier when the products that we sold were only available in our store. It was so easy. Um, Whole Foods hadn't come into the picture yet. So when Whole Foods came in and kind of changed the way things looked and made it all so more beautiful and also more, it became an experience for a shopper. Where in the old days, it, was, it wasn't an experience. They just needed a place to find their things. That's all changed. I started to feel lonely and started to feel like I really did not know what I was doing because I, I didn't. I wasn't a business person. I was taking over something that my mother started because there was a need. And so we needed to evolve in a way that I wasn't sure I knew how to. And that's when I joined Infra. And that's when everything changed. And it's Infra who helped me feel more relevant in the whole big picture. I, I did have a story to tell. I could find products that Everybody else wasn't selling, and it was with the help of, of this co-op that really, really changed the game for me as an, as an independent retailer. I have a quick follow-up question. For you, from your personal perspective, so what's the future of independent natural foods retailers? 
Yeah, this, this, I'm not sure I really know that we need to band together. We need to stick together so that independent stores are still in our communities because we're seeing so many, so many small stores disappear in, in all industries. And I don't want to do that. <laughs> we want to be there. And by banding together, I think we can do it. I'm here with John Patari, board member and owner of New Morning Market in Woodbury, Connecticut. John, you've been on the cutting edge of a cultural movement, fighting the good fight for decades. With the natural foods industry becoming ever more mainstream, what does it mean to be an independent now and how has that changed for you over the years? Well, what it means to be an independent now is it is a much more competitive and crowded space. When I first started, we had an exclusive you know, the provider you know, in our community and actually our, our greater community. Um, I remember in our early days that we would have uh, customers that regularly came from New Haven, which is like, you know, 40 miles away. And, and you know, because we were the only complete provider for national and organic foods and, and, and particularly specialties like loose herbs that weren't, that weren't just culinary, but also medicinal. And, and, and actually what, yeah, that's reminding me of how we served the diverse communities that we weren't even fully aware that needed to be serviced because it, there was less, you know, this was in the seventies, there was less of this information available. So, um, we had a very strong, uh, black community that was coming to get our bulk herbs because they were practicing self-care because they didn't have access to the care, you know, established system, but they also had a legacy of self-care and they knew what these herbs were. Right. And, and that to me was very fascinating that there were these markets out there that aligned with what we were doing, but we weren't fully even aware of, of, of them. You know, we were a bunch of hippies. We were providing a back to earth, you know, movement. So flash forward to today and it is, the reality is it is mainstream. And so a lot of what we do has become mainstreamed. And so many of our, you know, our independent manufacturers become, have become, you know, incorporated into, you know, the mega conglomerates. And so we are part of the, you know, the um, industrial food system, albeit if we don't want to be completely marginalized, that we're just this little niche. And so for New Morning Market and as, as a leader of New Morning, I've been always having to make this decision of where that line was to be accessible and relevant to a greater portion of my community. And then where do we hold the line for our values and, and, and the, you know, so the purity of what we were offering and, and the outcome of, of what we offered. And that really gets, you know, that our, our mission has really been the same and has guided me for ever since, you know, the beginning of my career. And, and it's really to, to rebuild a healthy and local sustainable food community and 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 so all the decisions that i've made has you know at those real important inflection points i've gone back and said well what should i be building this building you know for right and so that whole reality of that we are operating in a vacuum and that we've got to be relevant to our community really drove me to expand our business even though we stayed in Woodbury, which is now all of 9,000 people. It was 5,000 when I first started. And we grew always staying in Woodbury, but each, each, you know, succession, which is our fourth location now. And we built it, you know, we built this building to do what we do. And the biggest part of that, those decisions to grow was to be relevant so that we, you know, our market in our trade area had grown 
And we had always enjoyed a very you know, high percentage of servicing that market. But if we didn't grow, we wouldn't have, and we would have been marginalized, left enough room so that a larger competitor would be able to operate, you know, in, in our trade area. And then we would be relegated to a smaller portion. And, and we always wanted to be a, a full service, really neighborhood type of, of market. And I, and I think that's, that's not going away, but I, you know, that, that, that challenge would be making those decisions, but it, it has become more clear to me that just providing ingredients for people to make their meals for them and their families or the, you know, convenience foods that are already prepared is not our, I don't want to be relegated to that. That's all we're doing in the future. We've always been on a repository for knowledge of how to live a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. And so we're going to be formalizing that through classes and workshops in a facility that we'll be remodeling. And you know, that's right across the parking lot from our existing building. And, and you know, that would range from how to bake bread, make brown rice, plant organic tomatoes, uh, weave, sharpen your knives. So it's, it's those life skills that we, I think, as, as humans, learn best from others, you know, hands-on experiences. And then to be in a small enough intimate group that you get to know those who are also seeking that, which again, furthers that connection and community because our communities have gone from being very physical that we service to communities that have a similar either need, desire, interest. And, and that new morning has been this third place that they can go and find all those other people that either are gluten-free or grain-free or organic, vegan, or just very concerned about the environment and, you know, the choices that they make and what they you know, consume. And, and that's always been probably my most uh, enjoyable part is to see that happening playing out, you know, in, you know, in real time. I'm here with board member, Summer Auerbach, who is this, a second generation owner of Rainbow Blossom Natural Foods with five locations in the greater Louisville, Kentucky area. Summer, you grew up in this industry and you've seen it evolve more intimately than many. What does it mean to you to be an independent natural food retailer and to be carrying on this business? So it's funny, I just did an interview last week for an award ceremony that's next week for the Family Business Awards. And they asked me about being a second generation business, too. And I'm not sure that I felt great about the answer that I gave then, but I feel like I've been giving it some thought. There's a lot of pressure, but there's also a lot of like responsibility in feeling feeling like you're kind of carrying on the legacy of the generation that came before you. And I have so many memories in, you know, growing up in the store and in the business. And, you know, my my parents founded the store, but um, my grandparents were some of the best customers. And so I really have a lot of memories of seeing my grandmother in there just like so regularly shopping, growing up in the aisles, helping customers, um, you know, bagging, learning how to, you know, use the cash register, you know, really working in every place in the store. And so there's a lot of memories for me that are just kind of built into the business and my passion. And that just kind of, I don't know, it, it feels like a big responsibility. And then at the same time, it's really given me the opportunity to kind of take that voice that I always have in the back of my head, you know, that I know the things that are the most important to my parents, you know, or to my dad of like what he thinks. But then there's also the opportunity to change and do things differently and kind of look at the business with a new lens or kind of looking into new opportunities. So I kind of think of my role as being like a second generation owner as one that's kind of both backward and forward looking as we kind of make plans for the future, but also kind of honor and remember the past. So I'm going to do a quick follow up question because you you led to it with with that lens in mind, especially the future part. What is what do you see as the future for independent natural food retailers? I kind of feel like the 
future is that we're just kind of scratching the surface. I think there's so much opportunity and so much potential for independence. Um, I think as our society becomes more reliant on, you know, technology and um, kind of getting things quickly that people are just so hungry for products that make them feel good and tell a story and that real kind of human interaction with um, with people. And so I think I like to think of our store and also other infra stores as kind of this breath of fresh air from everything else that's out there. Um, and so I'm always reminding our team that our customers shop with us because of a unique product selection that they can't find anywhere else. And those products that make us unique are, you know, our local vendors. They're the small startups. You know, we they're they're products that are interesting and tell a story. Um, and I think that as um, independents kind of continue to lean into that and kind of create relationships that other stores don't have, it's really just going to set us apart and give us an opportunity to kind of continue to grow. And I think that our customers all over the country um, are just so appreciative to have that in their communities and that the result of that is just continued kind of growth and investment and in independence. I'm here with John Wood, owner of The Green Grocer in Portsmouth, Rhode Island. John, you've been on the cutting edge of a cultural movement, fighting the good fight for decades. With the natural foods industry becoming ever more mainstream, what does it mean to you to be an independent now? And how has that changed over the years? I would say as a, an independent, uh, it means that we get to be the gatekeepers in regards to uh, the products that we're putting on our shelves, the things that really make us different are commitment to the ingredient standards that we have within our store. Things that we do and take great efforts in to understand where food is coming from, how it's grown, uh, the practices that are involved, the people that are impacted in those growing methods, and the impact on environment, whether it's land, water, animals, air, these things all play a role in the quality of food that we're putting into our bodies and nourishing ourselves with. That we put that effort in and do all of that work is what sets us apart. It also enables us to be able to honestly say we do good work. So one additional question, John, what's the future of the independent natural foods retailer? For the independent, it's going to have to be sacrificing some degree of independence to work collaboratively with others in order to ensure that there is longevity, not only on an individual basis, uh, but at the industry level. And that the reason that most of us got into this work to begin with is because of a passion that we have, not necessarily just to make money. And it's up to us to keep that passion going. I'm here with Terry Brett, board member and owner of Kimberton Whole Foods with seven locations in Pennsylvania. Terry, as one of the earliest Infra members, you were part of a grassroots vision of working together in order to strengthen independent natural food retailers with buying power and operational excellence. Throughout our history, how have you seen that vision come to life? And is the Infra of today what you imagined back when you joined in the early 2000s? I saw back in the early 2003, 2004, the movement of many natural foods products into uh, the supermarkets and coming out of a space of, of trying to support local farms, having originated on a, on a biodynamic dairy farm in 1986. In order to bring a full package of products together, it became very important to go through distribution. And, and now we were competing with the supermarket chains. And I envisioned that we needed to be a collective of stores. At the time, we were only two stores and our buying power was very minimal. And so the growth of Infra over these many years has added our capacity to have a, a voice with vendors, given us great pricing, education on how to run better businesses, has enabled us through our volume and our collective work as Infra members 
to lower our cost of goods and therefore our pricing to be more competitive. And that's why today Kimber and Whole Foods is going to continue expanding and that we're very competitive in a very competitive market uh, in Eastern Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia. I really hope everybody enjoyed hearing from the Infra Board of Directors and that, like I said before we started this segment, that you found some amount of inspiration in their stories. You know, only on the buyer's desk would we get to hear from the Infra Board of Directors. And speaking of only on the buyer's desk, Chris, why don't you let them know what's coming up next? So we have an exclusive interview with Roland Gaylor, the founder and CEO of Natural Factors, and even in preparing for this interview, I wanted, I always do a little research to find out, you know, are folks, uh, you know, doing other interviews, are they on other podcasts? And this is actually something Roland doesn't do. Um, he's a very humble person. He really focuses on his work and he puts a lot of that focus on his team and the people doing the hard work and doesn't like to shine that light on himself, which I, I think is a, is, is a good quality in a founder. But Roland was willing to come on the podcast and do this uh, exclusive interview on the buyer's desk, which is fascinating. So... I hope you all enjoy this interview. But first, we're going to hear from Alec from Alec's Ice Cream, another independently owned brand. Hi, everyone. My name is Alec, and I'm the founder and CEO at Alec's Ice Cream. We're the first regenerative organic ice cream made with gut-friendly A2 dairy. At Alex, we believe that independent retailers play a vital role in building a more sustainable food system. Independent retailers are at the forefront of innovation in grocery and serve as a trusted place in the community to find food that tastes better and does better. Our ice cream is made with pasture-raised regenerative organic dairy and cane sugar, and our A2 dairy can make eating ice cream easier for those with dairy sensitivities. So if you're an independent retailer who shares our values and is looking for a partner that's dedicated to supporting sustainability and educating your customers on regenerative agriculture, we'd love to hear from you. Let's work together to create a better future for our planet and the creatures on it. Learn more about how Alex Ice Cream is paving the way for regenerative farming by making supernatural products that make you, your body, and our planet a little happier by going to alexicecream.com, that's A-L-E-C-S, icecream.com, or follow us on Instagram and TikTok. I'd like to welcome Roland Gaylor, founder and owner of Natural Factors to the buyer's desk. Hey Roland, thanks for being with us today. Well, nice to be with you, Chris. Excellent. Well, Roland, I, I wanna know what, what is your motivation and how was your life affected to go down the path you took to bring Natural Factors to really where it is today? Well, I was very young when something came to my attention, and that was um, at about three and a half, four years old. And I found a bean seed in the kitchen, and I took it, and I knew bean seed has to go into the ground, and I put it in the ground. And I remembered, oh, I better put a little water on it. So I went and put some water on, and I forgot about it entirely. And then later on, I noticed in the area where I put it, there was a big bean stalk and, and I looked at it and I said, my goodness, <laughs> look at what I got from one seed I put in the ground. And at that time, I was already thinking to myself, all the things you could make. And I realized I did nothing to really create the abundance that came back. So as a result, I was very interested in the biosphere of our planet. And I was coming to a conclusion later now in my life that actually everything in the earth works perfectly. The only real problem is us. Man is so imperfect. He's not really learning to live with the ecosystem that works beautifully. And the sun uh, comes and makes it all grow. And because of the, what the sun does, that's why we are here. And that's why plants and animals are here and all of that. So it all needs to work in harmony. And I'm all about working in harmony. I'm a great believer in giving, not taking. I truly believe that's what we all do understand about love. Love is, is, is giving, not taking. So when we think about what we do about the earth and caring about everything and everyone, it, it is 
always thinking about what can I give, not what I can take. So in my history, we really started with nothing. And uh, I use the expression blood and guts. Because when you don't have much, you have to do everything because you can't afford to pay someone to do it for you. So learning how to do everything um, is kind of my beginnings, was learning how to do everything that we came to being being the company we are today. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I, I love that. And one of my favorite books actually is by organizational psychologist Adam Grant called Give and Take. And it's all about the study of givers and takers and matchers. So, so I love that uh, estimation that you did there. So the, the next thing, Roland, I want to know is uh, why is it that Natural Factors does more testing than any others to validate their products? Well, early on, more so in the 70s, I used to always question, you know, how is it that we could have the same product year after year after year? How do we prove that? Especially with herbal products, it was very complicated to do that. Vitamins, it was getting better because there were more tests that you can do for potency and uh, to make sure that when a person uses a product, they can rely on it being the same potency strength that they need for a good result. But with herbals, it was very hard. It was actually, it was kind of like you put input of a certain amount of pounds of, of herb in, you, you make a liquid extract. You concentrate and mix it, but you, you never knew how potent the active compounds were. So when equipment was, was uh, made available, lab equipment like the HPLC, they really only became accurate and useful in probably the mid 80s. Like it was, it was a time where you could start to actually test the compounds in a herbal product. And there's many it's not one or two, could be hundreds of different compounds. And so which is a really active compound in, in a herb? And we did a lot of work on that to be able to establish test methods along with the science that was happening around the world and implementing it into our approach to making products consistent year after year after year. With what we do now at Ishura, we have escalated greatly uh, to using the most sophisticated equipment to test uh, the broadest range of contaminants. So we test for over 800 possible contaminants. We farm organically, but we still test everything to take a look at the possible contaminants. Sometimes it could come because something spilled in the field or something could have been sprayed that could have come onto the plants. So, so we care to go all the way, testing for any GMOs, uh, lab tested. Also, of course, all of the documentation for all of what we grow on the farm and all of that is kept, very stringent records are kept uh, because we're organic. That's amazing work that you guys do. And not many brands do that, go, go that extra level you know, they kind of do what they, they have to do. And you guys, you kind of go beyond that and, and really stay true to that. So that's, I think that's greatly appreciated in the, in the industry. So the next thing I wanted to ask you, Roland, is what do you mean by the natural supplement industry needs to be a community? Well, natural food stores from the very beginning and, you know, back in the fifties and whatever, when the movement really started, because what happened was that foods were now being stripped of all the nutrients and fibers so they could create a very neutral cereal or grain and then they could add their flavors in and then they those flavors of course made it taste so delicious uh, that people didn't like the real grain anymore and the health industry recognized that and realized you can't be taking all of the fiber and all the nutrients out of, out of foods. But that's why later they stripped the food so much that they had to fortify with vitamins to still call it a food. And, and that's why you see little bits of vitamins in, in cereals and all kinds of foods in order to sell it as a food. But Catherine Elwood, who wrote the book, Feel Like a Million, she was the one that her and many others that really focused on getting back 
to selling the foods that really have health. Now, I would say that natural food stores, by and large, continue to do the same thing. I do know the stores at Infra absolutely have a deep concern to providing foods, supplements, herbal products. They want to provide the best choices that are possible. That is so true. And I think that's where we really align in, in, in what we're trying to do, right, is having that, um, that level of choice, right? And I think you had mentioned if the natural food stores were really born out of that, you know, need for a choice, the choice to be healthy. Can, can you expand on that a little bit more? Uh, yeah, they did. And they didn't do it without opposition. <laughs> the tremendous opposition uh, from uh, uh, all of the conventional food producer and that, that we were stupid. Um, also with vitamins, uh, those type of supplements, uh, the, the uh, industry, the, which was not health stores, used to say we were stupid. And I, it's not a nice word to use, but I'm using it because, because they really thought that there was no value to anything we were doing, right? I remember with Catherine Elwood, she was being interviewed by a professor at Simon Fraser University after she gave a lecture in the 70s that I had attended. And, and he got up and he was a huge man, looked like a heart attack is coming. And the professor said, there's absolutely nothing wrong with bacon and eggs and, and white toast in the morning. And, and all the f food groups are there. And he was belittling her. It was very, very revealing. It was very sad. But that was the attitude at that time about what we were saying as an industry and what Catherine Elwood said. And she wasn't wrong. She wasn't wrong. He was absolutely wrong and very disrespectful to do this on, on television during the news hour. So from, from going from, from that being how the industry is viewed, how do you see that now? Like, do you feel like we've come a long way or do you feel like we still have a long way to go? In some ways, I think we went too far it, 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 because now everybody recognizes they, they want better choices in, 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 in what they buy, food and being organic and so on. And, and so because of that, because of that, everybody wants to get in on the business. So, so you see everybody trying to get in. But what happens is that when you see food companies try to get in, what they try to do is, is get relevancy, even though their product never changed. I don't want, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I have a deep concern about GMO because they get GMO, non-GMO certification for something that never was a GMO like wheat and they could put it on their bread, a white bread, never change anything but it's non-GMO, so people think it's way better now. Yeah, and I think that's where our members also get concerned is um, this came up in the episode we did around some of the other uh, topics, uh, and it was around certifications. And it said, you know, a lot of our members say organic is the minimum. Organic is the minimum, but a lot of stores will do non-GMO is the minimum. And yeah, there's maybe no GMOs or maybe the product contained were never GMO or to begin with, but that doesn't take into account the the soil practices, glyphosate, all of these other things that, that you mentioned that you guys test for that that are really important to make sure don't get into our food. So, so I don't think you're wrong in in taking that approach because I, th I think the industry at a large, at least with the independent retailers, um, do align with you on that thinking. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's why you know for for natural factors and our group of companies. We, we don't have shareholders. We're not public. We, we don't have investors. And because I hate to be told what to do, you see, because, because you know, I, I, I never cared about how much profit we make. I always cared about how much resources do we have to do good things. And that's what I care about. And, and uh, I, even within the company, though, I have to keep teaching them to realize what's most important is having the ability to continue and, and add to good things. And that's my focus. It continues to be that. 
And someone said, well, are you going to retire, Roland? And, and I was just talking about that today as we're having this before this interview. And I said, well, I don't know how you can stop. I think you, you have what you believe in life and you, you want it to continue. And that's why I wanted to stay independent. And that's why the infragroup wants to stay independent because co collectively they have a strength, but individually they, they have also a strength because they are independent. They can make decisions and those decisions are, I would always hope and believe, are with the interests of the community in mind. I completely agree. That's couldn't said it better myself. And just listening to you talk about how important being independent and, and the reasons why, um, it's such an inspiration to hear from you. I, I really enjoyed being able to take some time today to chat with you. And I appreciate that you took time out of your busy schedule to make time for us and to be on a podcast. And I know this isn't something you normally do. And and I think it's it's something our members will really appreciate hearing from you. So I greatly appreciate it. And I, I enjoy having you on the show today. Thank you, Roland. Yeah, I have one more thought though, Chris, I want to add, and you might use it. Uh, the thing is that uh, being independent though, I don't, I don't think of that as that I can do what I want. Uh, being independent is having the ability to listen to others and the community and understand what it is they want. And I, I, because I'm independent, I can do something about, about that. And I think that that's what health stores want to keep focused on. What is the need? And we're independent enough and we're independent so that we can actually make the change. Totally. Cause yeah, when you're, when your hands are tied, you know, with shareholders and everything else like that, you, you sometimes can't make the decisions that are best for the community. That's so true. That's, mm -hmm. that's it. Thanks, Chris. Excellent. All right, folks, that's our episode on celebrating independence. In August, next month, we have the theme of biodiversity and soil health. And I get to interview uh, another wellness founder, a legend, Jordan Rubin. And that's a fascinating conversation. So stay tuned for that. And we are done. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Well, folks, that's it for this episode of The Buyer's Desk. Thanks to Angela for co-hosting. And I appreciate the contributions from Infra staff, Infra members, and Infra vendors for helping to make this episode happen. I appreciate all of you who listened this far, and I hope to see you next month for another episode. <laughs>